everybody, and welcome back to another episode of JavaScript Jabber. This week on our panel, we have Dan Shapir. Hi from Tel Aviv, where the weather is great and the politicians are terrible. <laughs> Steve Edwards. I'm going to keep saying that because it keeps on being true. Uh, I don't think that's from... different anywhere else. Yeah, so I was going <laughs> to say hello from Portland, where our politicians are awful. I'm Charles Maxwood from Top End Devs. Uh, quick reminder, we're putting together the game dev stuff starting next week. Uh, we have a special guest this week. It is Ryan Carniato. Ryan, it's been, you've been on a few times lately. You want to just remind people real quick who you are if they've missed the other episodes? Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, as you said, my name's Ryan. I am the creator of SolidJS. I work with a lot of open source libraries and frameworks, um, and I work on open source at Netlify. I think you have a few additional titles, awesome. like you're the CEO of Signals. <laughs> And you're also like uh, the leading expert on all things framework, which is, I guess, why we are having you here today, to an extent. Yeah, it's funny how how we end up there. Uh, but yeah, CEO Signals was not a title I came up with, but it was <laughs> it was it's my uh, official Twitter title because you, on Twitter you have to be a CEO of something, right? So I was going to say, uh, is yeah. that like the Great Bambino or the Sultan of SWAT or something like that? <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. I, I, it was it was from a I think it was a Brandon Roberts stream. Uh, there's been a lot of talk because the Angular okay. community's been picking up signals, and they were like, they're, uh-huh. they 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 wanted to position it like that. It's fun. I had a podcast recently where I was with Ben Lesh, and they called him the CEO of Observables. So, um, there you go. Where there is truth to that. That's not for sure. Uncalled for. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Were you able to come to a con- definite conclusion? Like, what's the difference between signals and observables? Uh, we we were actually. I mean, I think both of us understand the difference in their range. I think the f- fun part about it is we like to kind of position ours as the more prim. Each of us position ours as the more primitive thing, right? <laughs> like you can use one to build the other. So that was like the dance that was going on. He's like, oh yeah, you could just like make signals by using um, you know observable with no mm-hmm. with the notification blah blah blah. And I was like, oh yeah, but signals are like a language level thing that you could build a observable. Yeah, it, it was kind of like. A bit of circling, but generally speaking, the I was just gonna say generally speaking, the use cases and like where they are strongest are different, so they can work together quite well. It's just there's always this like thinking of like, can we unify it into a single thing? And the answer is like not quite, or like not like each has their purpose. Look, it's not supposed to be the the topic of this episode, but you know, we, we got there so it seemed to me, and this is by no means official or anything, it's just something that I kind of came up with, and maybe I'm wrong, that the key difference between signals and observables is that you subscribe to observables, but you don't uh, actively subscribe to signals. Or do you think that's not the, the salient difference? Yeah, I mean, the auto-tracking dependency thing um, d- does make it different the way you wire things up. But it's it's like it's it's hard to tell like which one's like the symptom of the design versus which one is like the the reason for it. Um, but the key part about signals is they've been designed mostly for synchronous systems, um, designed so that like everything stays in sync um, and it fit into problems like almost like templating or like uh, I mean they originally came from electric circuits to be fair. But it, it, with with that kind of limitation, you can a restriction you can basically define almost all relationships as like a, an assignment almost, like not an assignment, uh, like a declaration, like A equals B times C or whatever. So like 
when when you have that sort of you know setup, you don't need like you having the subscriptions being automatic um, simplifies the process, and that's the focus. Whereas if you've ever used RX, you know that like you're piping things into other pipes into like other things that like you know make that asynchronous stream go through. So like it's almost like the use case that they're built towards kind of geared towards what they emphasize for with signals. The reason the synchronous is important is because they're topologically sorted so that you ensure that uh, change propagates glitch free runs only once you don't get like loops and stuff like that, where um, RX is designed just to give you incredible flexibility and power around how you, you know, transform data through async. So like, I, I feel like it's just kind of like an extension of their primary purpose uh, the subscription versus not subscription thing so you're saying one is designed for data synchronization and the other is designed for data flow yeah 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 exactly like transformations and stuff over time signals don't really have a time uh, axis I mean yeah I mean it's possible to to do stuff around time and I know I'm being a little vague here but like generally speaking everything's just like when something in the system changes, make sure that it's all in sync, that everything's consistent. Where uh, with RX or observables, like it's 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 all about like watching the yeah. You said it better. You know, it's just watching the data <laughs> flow through your app. Like, oh, try this fetch doesn't work. Retry. You know, split it, move it here. Yeah, a stream of things, as it were. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Values over time. Whereas one is, yeah, like you said, synchronizing the values synchronously. Um, now, I actually yeah. think it does kind of tie into, into our topic today, which is going to be solid and solid start or solid start and solid. Because in a lot of ways, you, you defined solid to me once as, and not just to me, I'm guessing, as um, state management or event uh, system that happens to be a framework or something along these lines. Yeah, yeah. It, you know, like state management first, like render after, right? It's just like, it's just a side effect that we happen to be rendering the DOM. And that's Solid itself. So Solid yes. itself is, well, it is a framework because it does, you know, update the DOM and, you know, it kind of looks like React as well, what with JSX and, and stuff like that. And the uh, use of the word use and, and <laughs> other things like that. Um, but it's but a framework it, as much as uh, <laughs> React has been a framework historically. So, wherever you want to like sit that, right? Mm. Yeah, there is truth to that. I, uh, I, I, I want, have they finally come around to accepting the fact that React is, is a framework? I don't think so because they, they they have an opinion on what they want to call framework versus meta framework, which I, we probably should talk about. But yeah, they react for them. I don't know if they've officially said it. They I think they're still calling it the library. It could be arguably a spec with the new stuff that's coming down the lines with server components and use client and all that kind of stuff. But um, they've kind of reserved the term framework to refer to things like Next.js and, and Remix. I think it's more than a spec. After all, it does carry along uh, quite a bit of implementation. Uh, so it's not just telling the people at uh, yeah. at Vercel what to do, you know? Yeah, it's an interesting balance on that because like, there is that part and there are specific like 
tools or primitives that they give to let you build. But they also like the stuff like use client. And there's a bunch of stuff that they're telling you to do that they also don't do themselves. Like the use client uh, and the bundler stuff is up to the bundler to implement. Um, so there's they've they've kind of drawn a line where they're trying to like build as many as like just the necessary building blocks and pieces and then be like okay everyone else you should follow these kind of guidelines and in terms of how to do it well which is why they've kind of moved to the place that you need a framework to use react or you should use a framework to use react in the future that's kind of um the positioning and it is an interesting topic like tying back to what we're talking about today because this idea of what is a framework has been very much on my mind since I started working with SolidStar. Dan, couldn't you really say that anything coming out of Facebook would be a meta framework? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, except except that they officially say that the one thing that they're not doing <laughs> is a meta framework, um, which, which does bring us up to the topic of our discussion for today, which is the fact that uh, maybe meta is not producing a meta framework, but you are. Uh, and it's called Solid yeah. Start, which is, you know, a great name for a thing. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and it reflects my thinking about these things because, like, um, it's tricky. I, I've always been one of those, like, well, I'm not going to, like, argue strongly, like, oh, Sol is just a library, you know, the same way people were, like, React is a library. I just say it's, like, whatever you want to c- categorize React at, we'll, we'll take the same title, like, this whole library versus framework thing. Um, it was very important for me to always provide the building blocks that let um, people build other things. And uh, that includes, like, I didn't really, I, you kind of know that, like, when you go higher up the, the stack, when you get to the framework or meta framework land, you have more opinions. And uh, we've been throwing around the term meta framework. I don't know if people are too familiar with it, but the it... it it's this kind of funny term because I I, I don't th- I think it, React was always a library, so people could call Next, say a framework, and then um, they might call um, something like Blitz a meta framework. Blitz was built on top of Next, and it used it, they added like RPC calls and a bunch of like uh, quality of life improvements to like Next. But what's kind of happened over time because other f- libraries or frameworks called themselves frameworks like Vue or whatever. Like the term meta framework started just kind of meaning um, any framework built on top of another framework, which meant that kind of, I, I mean, I don't want to say who's first, but it's, it started becoming like Vue, React, Svelte are the framework. And then the meta frameworks are Nuxt, Next, Svelte Kit, you know, Solid Start, whatever, you know, et cetera. Um, and, but I mean, the, the problem is like, does it ever end? Because there's the other things like, you know, Blitz to create T3 app, uh, which then you're like, are these meta meta frameworks? I, I I don't I don't. This is why the distinction is is difficult to make, and as difficult as it was as it was to make when we were talking about library versus framework. But for me, I just knew that I wanted to start from primitives, and m- mostly I wanted to kind of hit um, two birds with one stone. I wanted to create like a like a starter template that let people do SSR. Um, that was the thing. So like one of the reasons people have meta frameworks is because it's kind of hard to wire server-side rendering yourself. Um, and I wanted to make it easy. But on the other hand, I didn't... And there's a lot of meta frameworks out there that have lots of features that are really opinionated and very 
powerful in that sense, but they're like, you do it our way, right? And um, I was trying to keep that, like what made the quote meta framework as minimal as possible. Um, so, you know, that's, that's where the solid start came from. Because I was like, I was, I was really thinking starter template rather than like opinion a framework. Like something on the opposite end of the scale might be like Nuxt is amazing in that like you take care of all these things for you and there's a lot of extra pieces to, to really lend to that experience. Things like auto imports and like they, they definitely have this really good DX story where it all ties into Nuxt and kind of completes the picture. Even stuff like, you know, Next and Next Image and like all of those those pieces kind of tie together into the single story. I wasn't as interested in bundling stuff up. I just wanted to make sure that the pieces were there so that people could. And initially, I was like, like people, like as soon as we got server-side rendering and solid back in like 2019, people were like, okay, where's the next JS equivalent? I'm like, uh, go build it. I, I don't want to. Uh, you know, like, you 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 go do it. And um, over time, I realized that like it was a difficult task for people to approach. But that being said, I didn't want to get away from the, giving people that flexibility to be able to like go, here's the baseline, take and add and use it however you would. So, which I'm not sure if that's very framework like. Well, I, I don't see why it isn't, but, but yeah, it does seem that in many cases, frameworks are about codifying certain opinions. But I'm not I'm not sure that by definition it's because they're absolutely certain the the creators of such meta frameworks that they have the best opinions. Rather, it's because they want to jumpstart development, provide good DX, and and being opinionated just kind of is the easiest way to achieve that. Uh, once you start giving a lot of of options then there are a lot of questions you need to answer because you can you before you get into the the primary task of of actually building whatever it is that you want to build yeah no definitely and and when you have opinions you know you can streamline it and can you can cater to that and you remove a bunch of questions or misleading like stuff that gets them off you can get that like the really important thing for framework is that if someone can download the project i feel and then like one click deploy, even if it's just the hello world version, and see the whole end to end story, you know, maybe, you know, run the project locally, run the tests, then deploy it, like, you know, within the first five minutes or whatever, then, like, like, that, that's incredible power to put so in someone's hand. But again, so uh, starter templates could so do that as well. You're saying it's not a surprise that a lot of these meta frameworks companies also have um, a hosting business to go along with it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, well, the, the thing is, the the like library itself, you, they're all open source, and even the frameworks generally are open source. It's hard to try and run this stuff on open source. People be, almost expect to get it for free, and it's a, it's a numbers game. You want like as many people using it as possible. People aren't going to like, it's, it's, not, it's almost not specialized enough for people to pay for it. So, like, where are you going to make money? Well, hosting is the natural, like, extension of that. The tricky part is, I think that was, like, good for a time and a bunch of, you know, few companies got in at that point. Um, but I think, you know, there's only going to be so many hosting providers and, you know, that can fit in, you know, in addition to, you know, the huge things like, you know, AWS, you know, right? Um, and in fact, a lot, like, 
with Cloudflare um, being kind of an exception, most of the other hosting solutions are kind of built on top of another platform, whether it's Dino built on Google Cloud, I believe, or, you know, Netlify and Vercel both working primarily off um, AWS, but they also have their own, you know, uh, Dino or Cloudflare edge functions, respectively. So like, it's not surprising that those go together, though I I don't know if if I'm going to go create the next framework and try and get uh, VC funding if hosting will take me very far these days. Mm. Getting back, though, to that concept, I recall, uh, I mentioned it before we started uh, recording this episode, I recall that a while back, when uh, I guess while you were still thinking about whether or not you want to do the next JS thing, uh, that you mm-hmm. kind of said that while a single person can create a framework, it's obviously a, a, a very big task, but it's still something that a single person can do in case in point you've done it. And you might say that Rich Harris has also done it and, and a few other people. Um, that creating a, a meta framework, again, you said, I don't actually have my, an experience in that, is something that's more suitable for or an organization, that it's difficult for one person to do because of all the integration work that needs to go along with it. Or, or am I misquoting you? Yeah, no, you're 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 correct, and and when I I need to like put a, like a little bit of um, explanation there because like when I say one person could create it, I, I mean because you could you can go and I mean this is kind of true about the meta framework as well, but I mean you can go and build a JavaScript framework over a weekend if you know what you're doing. You could probably like put some pieces together and then you know you know spend the next several weeks tinkering it as a single person for it to get anywhere or succeed, you, it, it takes a ton of people. And the open source community is very, you know, it's amazing that people come together to work on these kind of projects to actually see them get there. It's more than the effort of one person. But it could start with one person kind of doing that. Um, but the thing is, what I felt is like, once the framework gets to a certain point of maturity, you know, and you have, you know, a good community around it, um, the surf like the core surface area and the ambition of it is small enough that, you know, a small set of maintainers, you know, could probably pull it off, you know, out in the open. Um, you know, you, 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 I, you could do it mostly off people's volunteer if they want to spend the time kind of thing. Meta framework takes on just so much more that, and this is something that I realized, like, even if, it's just a combination of existing libraries put together. The combination of that comes with expectation, right? Because it's like more than the sum of its parts. And that means like, you know, now as a framework, if if something, you know, happens weird during deployment, you're like, well, see what's wrong with your config. See what's wrong with, you know, you know, how you're using your build system or your bundler or what's up with the deployment route. You just kind of send people to kind of do it. You help them if there's bugs in the in the framework, you know, but generally speaking there. But with the meta framework, it's like, oh, no, no, this is your responsibility now. So it's like, th- there's a whole range of stuff that comes around infrastructure, deployment, bundling that are kind of additional to what you'd have in the uh, the framework itself. Plus it's, it's you know, any specific features, um, you know, like library stuff. Like, as I said, my perspective is like the core of the framework is like this tight machine that, you know, as it grows, yeah, probably needs more attention in terms of like people maintaining it. But it's actually maybe doesn't change that much. Um, but when you start talking about the application of those things with like libraries, you know, 
I don't know, like, I mean, similar to like component libraries, you know, or when people start making those kind of things, there takes a, like more scenarios uh, that are just further from that core that require more work. And I think the biggest thing on the meta framework side is just the expectation of support, like that, like, this is a product. And um, as I said, some of this could just be like perception because of the competition, like where the, the line is, like if every buddy was just by themselves or with a small group of maintainers building a meta framework, maybe be different. But when some options are being funded, like, you know, next or remix or whatnot, um, you Gatsby, um, like it's what they can offer is, you know, considerably more. And it, it, it seemed very obvious to me, you know, maybe not at the beginning, I, I knew that it was ambitious, but like the more I worked on it and looked at the time you spend, you know, fixing bugs and the kind of work you have to do to maintain these things, it was just like, this, this is a lot. Um, because like, there's just so many, not, like now I'm worried about mono repos and different configurations. like you've taken on all the pieces to p- make an app go out the door, whereas just the framework which maybe is ill-named, you know, like the core framework or library, that is a bit outside of your scope. Um, And it's a considerable difference in scope, I'd say. I understand. So given the fact that despite that initial hesitation, trepidation, call it whatever you will, you still decided to do that you needed to do solid start as a meta framework, as your own sort of Next.js on top of Solid, like Next.js is on top of React. Uh, and, and, and you've done it. I, 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 to my knowledge, Solid Start is now in beta, right? Yeah, I mean, I did push back for about a year, oh, more than a year, really. I said it was like 2019, 220. Um, but I knew that people were going to build these things and that we needed it. It was an important part of the story, but I was hoping someone else would. And it actually, I worked with a few people who made one, a uh, couple like start starters to it. Like uh, there's a project called Liquid for a while, which was supposed to be like, you know, playoff solid, where they were working on a, um, a meta, that was a meta framework on solid. Um, there was um, guys from Builder uh, before they picked up Mishko and Quick. Uh, Steve was looking, he created something called Snap, which was a solid uh, meta, meta framework. Uh, so like there, there was people playing around with it. And I was like, okay, so I, I focused on stuff like the router and like core pieces that I knew would be useful. And I, I was like, okay, I got nested, parallelized data fetching, routing and all this stuff. I like got the pieces and I'm like, still, you know, we didn't have the framework, best practices. People didn't understand things like suspense and transitions. Like there's just, you know, out of order streaming. There's so many things that I had knowledge on that, you know, you know, I saw some projects kind of playing around and they, they didn't understand solid specific reactivity. And like, I just knew that I, I probably needed to kind of show the way, so to speak. And I, even that wouldn't have been enough, but then Vite, um 2 was released uh, February 2021. And it added this SSR support. And it was a game changer because it was almost like all the pieces that I had were missing just suddenly were there. And the big thing, the reason Veep made it so easy is like they combined the plugin system for the client and the server in dev mode into single plugins. So it kind of sliced vertically instead of horizontally, so to speak. And this changed the way we could like look at plugins instead of like having to manage like four different Webpack configs or whatever. Like suddenly it was like one config with a bunch of these sliced plugins and it would you you could just author stuff to work on both sides. 
and you just need a simple kind of server start script, so to speak. And so just yeah. for people who may not be familiar with the capabilities of Vite, um, per my understanding, well, Vite is a project that came out of Vue effectively, right? Uh, out of the Vue world. And it's yeah. essentially a, a bundler, but a bundler that, aside from working really fast and like you said, having support for plugins, can automatically generate the bundles both for the client side and for the server side, for debug mode, for production mode, with support for hot reloading. And it has the server built in, which you kind of need if you want to do hot module reload. Uh, so, so you effectively got everything you kind of need in order to build a meta framework on top of it or something along yeah. these lines. Yeah, well, it was to cool. clarify, it, it's not the bundler. It uses roll-up under the hood ah, okay. for the bundling. The, the big thing about Vite itself was the module reloading using ES modules, um, which is what made it so much faster because you're basically using the built-in capabilities of the browser. Um, and that's what made it so, makes it so smoke and fast. But for the actual bundling itself, it, it uses roll-up. Yeah, it, it, it's this crazy Frankenstein. Like, actually, like the interface is kind of nice for the developer coming in. But when you understand the hood, because yeah, it does it does uh, roll up. But then, um, when it but then when it's doing the optimized builds for dev time, it also uses the ES build in there as well. So it's like it's like got roll up. It's got ES build. It's like this cr- crazy thing. And the other feature that it has that I think is really cool is um, it had glob imports. Again, this is just such a silly thing because you can just get a glob library in that. But just out of the box, it just had a, a number of these pieces. And I looked at it and I'm like, I realized I was like, I could just take like a solid starter te- template that I have right now, add the SSR entry point, have it basically work with uh, just like this one plugin that'll do make the server client build and the dev build. And then I could just take my router import the files using this glob import and and like basically in like a paragraph or like half a page write a really basic file system router like the whole thing basically wrote itself like i, I remember like it was in february that it came out and like like two weeks later i had like the first version of solid start um and i, I remember i was i it was great because like it wasn't just about uh you know, releasing it to people at that point. I just wanted to like build on it because like suddenly I had this this test bed to kind of run the stuff. Uh, the other than Node, the first adapter I believe I wrote was for Cloudflare, so I could use Cloudflare workers, and I used that to test out um, streaming uh, for deploys on the edge. Right, um, one of the very first things I think it was in, uh, in March we released one of the first solid start demo, and it was a Cloudflare workers at the edge Hacker News demo uh, using streaming. Uh, out of order streaming and uh yeah i mean it, it, suddenly i had these pieces and i i remember i was like i was like okay i just take my router i take my meta head like head library for like the meta tags um and i kind of jam these together and then i the, i i knew i knew right from the beginning there's like a few pieces that i wanted to have um and then I think one of the other ones was, yeah, yeah. I had these proxy-based RPC calls, um, essentially. Because so I was like, okay, if we control the server and the client, why can't we just like call a function and have it run on, on both sides? So it, w- it wasn't nothing fancy. It was just, I basically in the s- server build, um, like we, we just we could just import different versions of the, of the thing. And then on one side, you got like, the, it just called the function. And on the, the other side, it basically 
created a URL based on the path you went um, through this proxy. Uh, and then it just, that when you called it there, it would call a fetch function and call it um, on the server. I know, kind of funny stuff, but I called those actions. This was like February or March 2021, I think. And I was like, okay, cool. This is kind of a meta framework. I, I should, you know, it, I'm really amused because just to detour a little bit about this RPC discussion, and there's something we will probably talk about more in the context, uh, context of Bling, but it's really funny to me because people keep in reinventing this the RPC mechanism over and over and over again. I mean, I'm old enough to remember Corba and DCOM, uh, and, yeah. and, and, and now we're reinventing it in the context of the web. And even in the context of the web, we've got what you're doing, I guess, with Tanner, which is Bling. And you've got what the guys at Quick are doing, which are doing something that's actually syntactically very similar, although yeah. semantically some slightly different. And I don't know if you know this, but uh, Wix, we had Yoav Abahami on our show talking about Velo by Wix. They actually have this RPC mechanism of calling server functions from client-side code like they built it like, I don't know, like six years ago. So it, yeah. it keeps on happening like over and over again. It's really amusing. And to, I an think extent, and to an extent, you might say even that React server components, to an extent, are also that. To an extent. To an extent, yeah. Yeah, I mean... you. They're mostly something you, else, but they're also slightly okay. that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I agree with you on that. Yeah, do you know what it is? It's because when the rise of the single page app came up, we wanted to distribute everything, right? So, like, like RPCs were popular, uh, like way back. Like, uh, even like a sense like some some nasty stuff like soap or whatever, like uh, and other you know things we went. And then we we were like, okay, no, we need to distribute, have stateless servers, remove the load, you know, and scale up and all this stuff. So we REST APIs became popular. And then we got, you know, microservices. The whole thing burst outwards. And it kind of went coincided with the rise of the single page app, which was like, okay, let's, you know, have these clients, smart clients that like maintain the state. And I feel like those things coming together at the same time worked really well because then it was like, okay, you had I what's the term? It's like Jamstack, right? You you had your like JavaScript framework in the client and then your APIs, right? And that was just like the design. You had these distributed REST APIs. I think RBC starts looking more um how should I put it? Like it looks more beneficial in like the front end web world when you're dealing with monolithic architectures. And one of the ones the thing that brought RPC back this time, uh in my opinion. Although it wasn't my primary driver, I just was less like going like, why do I want this extra complexity if I'm just starting up here? Was TypeScript um, because that you could literally, if you put the function in this isomorphic code, because most stuff that we have now runs, you know, on client and server. When you're like writing a JavaScript modern declarative JavaScript app, it was like, okay, if I can just declare a function and then just call it in both sides. What's cool about this function then suddenly is like it has the types. So like. You could literally be in a client component, have the server function and the types line up. And I mean, it's so funny. Back in languages and stuff, they're like, yeah, of course, type systems, you know, like, but like yeah. for JavaScript world, you know. Yeah. I mean, our, the whole point of RPC, well, for those, for those of our listeners who don't know what RPC stands for, RPC stands for remote procedure call, which basically means that you invoke a piece of remote code running somewhere else, usually a different computer, but it might be a different process on the same computer. 
as if it was a regular function call. Uh, it looks like a regular function call within your own, you know, process, but it's actually running somewhere else. So effectively, the parameters that you're passing in undergo this process called marshalling, which basically transforms them into some sort of representation as JSON or XML or whatever, sends it over the wire, other side gets it, you know, deserialized or demarshaled, runs the... the and, and the other thing is that the client side is effectively, quote-unquote, blocked on this on this call. So it, it behaves in as if it was synchronous. Although in JavaScript, that really means that you're returning a promise and you can do an await on it. Right. Uh, uh, although in other programming languages where they had the, that mechanism, they were actually blocking because hmm. they were multi-threaded. So they would actually block that particular thread until the until the procedure returned. Yeah, yeah, no, uh, it it just it's, it, these pieces together, you know, made it really seem like a powerful mechanism. And I, I saw once I, I was doing that, I'm like, oh, this is great. I can use these to, not only to do mutation because I wanted a mutation story, but I could use these also to um to like do the data fetching. And this was important to me with Solid, because Solid's a reactive library. So we, 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 do, we do changes in a fine-grained way based off these signals, which you know we talked about a bit at the beginning. And one of the things that we saw is like st- things like get server-side props are very tied to the specific, like it's an export that's like part of the framework. And it was like, this is async, this always runs on the server. And in our isomorphic world, we do need to call out what only runs on the server. Because most code runs on both sides, and you have to go like, use this on the server only. And I didn't want the data fetching mechanism to be this new thing that I added in the framework, so to speak. Again, this is about, you know, looking at the primitives. And Solid's router already had uh, something called like a route data, which was this idea that um, whenever you change to a route, it could be nested. We could basically run this function and fetch all the parts of the route and do the data fetching in parallel. I used this in client-side benchmarks for years. and I was like, I just want to pull this over here. I just want my API call or resource in Solid, it's called, to run their function always on the server in one place rather than um, uh, like, you know, do the server initially and then do the client side afterwards. So like these RPC calls made uh, a lot of sense to me in terms of coming up with a pattern so I didn't have to introduce like a specific mechanism of like the framework specifically and don't get me wrong like this this these actions things i had were a specific mechanism but the reason that i liked it like this was if someone brought in like tanstack query um you know some other like library for data fetching you could just go okay now tanstack you know use query always run this on the server like basically this mechanism because it was isomorphic it could for the like the triggers for the fetching, it could basically leverage reactivity for fine grain. You could have like multiple loaders on the same route, and if one query parameter changed, only update the one that changed, like fine grain wise. And then you could also um, basically have that power with any third party library um, that like you like Tanstack uh, query, you know, use query worked just as well mm-hmm. as Solid's own resources or Turbo Query or whatever like. Data fetching, Apollo, like uh, maybe not Apollo because they have the GraphQL just stuff. To, but you just see that I'm getting what you're saying. The fact that everything looks like a function 
and behaves to an extent as if it were a synchronous function, uh, enables you to basically look at all these things kind of the same. That's what you're saying? Yeah, all these APIs that, that are like promised to signal in Solid's case or promised to state could be pluggable. Any third-party library could basically be pluggable with this mechanism because they, they all just accepted uh, functions that return promises, basically promise factories. So so once you basically resolve the general case, which is I get I, I pass in parameters, I get back a promise, then anything that can handle that scenario can plug in, basically is what yeah. you're saying. Yeah, and and you yeah, didn't and have it, to invi- invent this sort of sophisticated custom mechanism like React Server components. Well, I mean, React Server components are a different thing. I'm not. <laughs> we will go there. But yeah, we, I know it, they, they, they're different because they're they're out for them. The fact that it's RPC is almost incidental. It's it's yeah. a side effect of what they're trying to achieve. It's, it's for them. The it's about that, the data flow. For you, it's about function calls. For them, it's about the data flow. I think. Right. Kind the, of the like reason, observables versus signals again. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it is at a different level. For me, it was it was this was what allowed me to get rid of git server side props and not and loaders essentially. This is how I could unify the loader pattern with the client only pattern. Because again, so I'll start in my head, I'm like, this is a starter. So someone could go in and make a non-SSR version of Solid Start. They can just go in and just use the same patterns and have the same data loading experience and everything in the file system routing with a pure client-side rendered single-page app. And it also works in SSR. You just go SSR mode. You know, like, and essentially, now it's server rendering and then you can static generate and you, you know what I mean? Like, so yeah. I, I, so these all kind of scaled. And because any third-party query library built on Solid internally uses our resource mechanism, um, this is also important because I knew they would because basically we internally have this promise to signal primitive. Um, and the reason this is important is because this is how suspense works or transitions tie into it. So all the third-party solid libraries for data fetching use this internal primitive. The, now these actions or whatever, I, later we drop that name but or we change the meaning of it, but they could basically get passed into that resource ultimately. And what this meant for the people writing these libraries, which was amazing, and primitive power here, is that not only did they instantly work with suspense now, that meant like out-of-order streaming instantly worked. You could just like literally pick up, you know, again, I mean, keep on using Tanstack query, but you can pick up like, you know, that's, you know, solid query, the Quimbley React query. You could just literally just stick it in your app and presto, it will, you know, maybe use the server function here and have it, call first time on the server, like you expect, do SSR, do this out-of-order streaming with suspense, auto-serialize the data, you don't have to worry about it, um, and then they tie in some hydration lifecycle hook so that on the, in, in the implementation, so when it starts up, it automatically precedes the cache with the data and um, doesn't refetch it, everything streams in as it's pro- sp- supposed to do, and, you know, using suspense, and then, you know, you're good. And then when you do a mutation, do the invalidation, go through the whole cycle again. And it would work as naturally as if the framework had, like the meta framework had built it itself. All the pieces are there pretty much automatically with these libraries. You can just go pick it up off the shelf. And I knew that was what I wanted to to do here. By the way, just to clarify, and again, I know that a lot of people are familiar with the term because of the use in React, but I don't know if there's like a formal definition that I've seen. But basically, a suspense boundary 
is that point from within which everything needs to be synchronous with each other, but everything to the outside of it can be a synchronous with it. Is that the proper definition, or is that uh, or is there a better one? Yeah, it, huh, that's an interesting way to put it. Um, it's it's basically, uh, yeah. I, I guess I guess that's fair. The idea is you have certain async state that uh, if at, at some point it isn't resolved, showing it would make your view inconsistent. That's the whole thing. So like essentially you can wrap a boundary around what part of the view goes together, like how much of it you're okay throwing away based on this async states. I I, I said the same thing almost backwards, but like essentially if you're doing some data fetching based on where you read it, it walks up to the nearest suspense boundary and goes, put a placeholder here. Or in the case of streaming, it's like, everything outside of the suspense boundary is okay to stream to the client. And then we'll wait to stream this part, which means that what you see is you actually see the shell of the app, a loading placeholder. So the second, like, let's go to the beginning there, sorry. Second, the server gets the request, starts rendering, starts fetching the data, hits the suspense boundary, keeps on rendering, gets to the, the we call them resource reads, or the, you know, like awaiting in React components, goes, okay, this needs to suspend. Kind of finishes off there. In I, React's case, traditionists throw a promise, but now they have async components. It's a little different. But in any case, you kind of stop there. And then the, uh, the boundary goes, okay, I'm suspended. But if the thing outside isn't suspended, it actually, to the client, gets the shell of the app and streams this placeholder. So you're looking at the screen with like a loading spinner, let's say. But the data fetching happened immediately on the server, not on the client. Even if it looks kind of like client-side rendering, the data fetching happened earlier. Then, as while the connection's still open, as the when the data finishes, it actually renders that HTML for the inside section inside that boundary on the bottom of the document, kind of streaming it in. And then when it gets that, it <laughs> there's a script tag in line that actually inserts it to replace the placeholder, um, and it continues hydrating from there. Uh, yeah, I think you get a re- gave a really complex technical explanation that kind of said what I said before. <laughs> but bottom <laughs> up, like you said. Uh, yeah, it's about a really sophisticated way about handling the fact that you want to render what you can, but some pieces are still missing. And when they'll get there here, we'll use them. Uh, and until they do, we are probably showing a spinner or something, which is why I, I like to joke that the key difference between an old-style uh, web app and, an, and a modern web app is that we used to have one big spinner, and these days we have lots of small spinners. Uh, right. Uh, although suspense hopefully gets us back to larger spinners again. I think there was a time period with client-side rendering where we had the most spinners, right? <laughs> because like, like the pre-suspense client rendering, you'd like load a page, and then you just see them like all kind of come, come in and cascade. Suspense because of that inversion of control where it's based on read and then you set the boundary. Hopefully that like makes it more stepped, so to speak. So instead of having like a bunch of them, you can go like, look, if I got like 50 images here, I'm not going to bother like spinning them all in. I mean, might for images, but like essentially you're like this block when it's finished, show it. Um, and that that's the power of, 
of it. It lets you group it. By, by the way, I have to say that uh, Jack Harrington, who's one of the hosts of React Roundup, also does a whole lot of uh, videos, did an excellent mm-hmm. video in which he literally shows how this mechanism works in Next.js and Remix, and also he builds it by hand on top of Vite. Uh, this whole nice. thing that you talked about, the, the the suspense boundaries and how the stuff keeps streaming and arriving and gets inserted into place. So if somebody is really interested in the technicalities, you can probably put a link to that video in the show notes. Yeah, that's very cool. Uh, wh- where was it? Oh, yeah, right. So we we had these primitives and I kind of like knew this is where I, I wanted the baseline. So it's like, okay, if this is like summer 2021, like why why isn't this thing out yet? Um, well, building out a lot of adapters and stuff did a, did a bunch of work, and we wanted to improve the data fetching story, um, or sort of the data mutation story. Um, and one thing that I saw during that time period was Remix and SvelteKit. Um, basically, they both a, a couple months later, after these RPC streaming demos I talked about, released uh, early versions of their uh, stuff. And it's funny; it was like within the same week, Rich Harris. And the the Ryan Florence and Michael Jackson both gave demos where they um, basically showed off uh, progressive enhanced forms, mm. right? And w- I was like, okay, yeah, I I want to I, I want this too. And the thing is, and again, I, if I can interrupt you just to clarify to our listeners really briefly what this means, it basically means that if the JavaScript is already loaded then you're hand working like an SPA. That means you intercept the form submission and you handle, you send the data using some sort of uh, Ajax, like a fetch command, and you handle the response using JavaScript to do everything as a single page application. But if the JavaScript isn't loaded or simply hasn't finished loading yet, and, and you click the submit button, then it basically just works like a regular old HTML form and and does the the actual action. And the funny thing is that you as a user of the framework don't have to distinguish between the two. The two just on the server side, the two go to exactly the same endpoint from your perspective. So in effect, it it just works. Uh, And that's the whole, that's one of the things that I think that Remix was the, the first to really promote it was this whole concept of progressive enhancement. That if you've got the JavaScript, you leverage the JavaScript. But if you don't have the JavaScript yet, you make do without at least until it arrives. Maybe not at all. Yeah, it, it, it's always interesting to me because, like, I, I don't know who was first because, like, I mean, it's hard to kind of tell on that. Like, cause, I mean, Rich Harris had the that one talk, of, and maybe that was later in the year. But they both actually did the the form demo. I think Remixes was much nicer because they fooled everyone. Because Remix, I remember this. They're sitting there and they're doing the stream, and they're like just playing with Remix and showing off the features. And then like 45 minutes, or no, no, it was longer. It's like an hour in. They were like, oh, by the way, JavaScript's been turned off in the browser this whole time. And and like no one like watching the stream even picked up on it. Um, they they literally were building out this app, adding all the Remix features, showing all the stuff. And then it was like, oh yeah, we, we actually weren't using JavaScript. Let's turn JavaScript on so we can show you how to do optimistic updates. Um, I mean, I, I that could is cool. talk... Yeah, I could yeah. talk a ton about that, but I mean, essentially, the biggest thing that Remix had figured out, um, besides like because progressive enhancements and forms have been a while, did people have done similar things manually? Was that 
they realized a pattern around optimistic updates, um, which was that most systems like Tanstack or Apollo stuff had this idea of cache writing for optimistic updates. See, the thing is, what's happened over time, and I've talked about this before uh, in a couple of places, is that cache writing is always like a recipe for challenges. Let's, let's just say that. And people had gone so tired with their big GraphQL clients that they weren't even bothering, you know, doing all this cache mutation. They'd just be like, screw it, I'm going to invalidate. And I, I, we saw this all the way, all the time with React query, um, Tanstack query, essentially React, where people had gone to a point where like, instead of trying to update the cache, they'd be like, let's just, um, you know, do the mutation, then invalidate the keys that changed, you know, and just, you know, it's two fetches, but whatever. And Remix kind of took that mentality even further in that even for those libraries, doing mutations would be like a preemptive cache update. And then if it failed, you rolled it back. Otherwise, you replace. Remix was like, get rid of the cache altogether. Like at least the client side JavaScript managed cache. You can use the browser cache. Yeah, I, get think, rid of that. I think that's the key point. Uh, and, and I think, Steve, this is the thing that you like to do to give, uh, to, to say, which is that there are like three different hard things. Well, you say it better than I do. Yeah. Oh, the hard three hardest, the two hardest things in computer science are caching, naming things, and off by one error. Exactly, and 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 basically, literally everybody does caching wrong, uh, and everybody tends to build caches, their JavaScript caches, on top of the HTTP cache, which is to an extent, like from my perspective, like the worst thing that you could possibly do, because the server, it's the server that decides how long things should be cached. And once you add the JavaScript client-side caching, it means that you're basically ignoring whatever caching the server is saying. Um, right. Uh, and, 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 and if you're using the HTTP caching properly, then you don't really need anything else. Uh, yeah, go for it. And that was like the insight with Remix. They, they'd already, I don't know if they acknowledge this in their head, but for me watching the trend line, we've already seen everyone invalidating. And then they realized like, okay, they're optimistic updates. We're just going to feed your request back in as uh, ephemeral state, essentially, like this temporary state. So you just get whatever's in flight as state so you can render it. There's your optimistic update. Like, and it's not, it's harder than maybe to do like really truly global optimistic updates, but optimistic updates are hard anyways. But once they did that, they're just like, look, now we have no reason for that client-side cache outside of the, using the browser's cache. And suddenly, like, this simplification felt, you know, really, really powerful. And I, 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 it's a huge thing because this is influenced, obviously, our, our uh, Solid Starts um, APIs, and it influenced uh, React Server Components and Next uh, APIs here. Well, that, that brings up an interesting point because their simplification to an extent was saying, you know what, all this work you've been doing with, uh, let's say, Redux, you know, you don't need that. Just keep the state on the server side and forget about all this global client-side state that you need to manage and keep in sync to an extent. But But you're not saying that exactly because for you that client-side state is what uh, Solid is. Right, right. I mean, it, it is interesting because like, that, that understanding there for me ha- happened earlier and it, it, on because I think, I think there was a time period, uh, I, I don't know, 2018, 19, when things like SWR and React Query came out and people suddenly realized like, okay, I don't need read. I mean, even before that, when GraphQL came out, like Apollo, people started going, okay, if all my states in Apollo actually don't need Redux. But Apollo itself is a very 
crazy sophisticated state management system that you know yeah and then you uh, uh swr and uh tanstack or react query came out and like look you don't need a 40 kilobyte library to do this you can do this in like you know five or ten kilobytes um and then remix was like you don't need we'll, that we'll, you we'll, just need fetch <laughs> <laughs> yeah right like so like it, it went down the skill i mean you just need your router essentially but the, the router was present yeah, in all the of them but yeah exactly so so like and the approach uh with solid it's interesting because you're right reactivity is a client side trigger mechanism but it's fairly lightweight so like i it depends like it's perfectly fine to delegate a lot of the stuff to the server right i uh, with Solid's resources, we base the API a lot on um, React query, like that kind of thing. It, it's lighter weight because it's built into primitives in the in the library itself, like into the actual core of Solid. But like essentially, we just needed like this promise to signal mechanism that could handle serialization, and then we we ha- we have ways that you can create your own cache. But we didn't ship with the cache. That's how we made the savings, right? Because React query and those ship with the cache. So we're we our our solution is like. It's not the it's not in the router exactly, but it's it's also doesn't have a bunch of the caching stuff and like the extra stuff that SWR or or that. But yes, there is an acknowledgement that tech, compared to Remix, I did have to figure out what we we're going to do because Remix was kind of very streamlined. It's like this always runs on the server, and I was like, I don't want to make that decision. And I want any library. Like if you want the client side cache, you can because there there are apps out there. That like it is difficult to take that invalidate everything mentality. Like it is that invalidate mentality works really well when you're building CRUD applications. I think yes, and it works really well when you're building e-commerce application, which is not then surprising given their relationship now with Shopify. But it's exactly. not. But it's not that great. Maybe if you're building sophisticated dashboards, for example. Right. So I wanted to leave it open, but for Solid, I wanted my own primitives like the, like Remix. So what we did was we to kind of this is how we finally put the pieces together. Was we took Solid's resources, which was the more basic, lightweight version, and we added actions on top of these kind of server functions. I added the term action again, and it was around this time that Nikhil, um, who started joining the team, kind of working on Solid Start, um, he he was like we were playing around with these proxy things. And he's like, why don't we just use a compiler? Like we can just like essentially be like, ser- like, like server, say this, wrap it with a function, call it server. And, you know, instead of doing this proxy thing you're doing, we can just generate the URL um, at compiles time instead of via proxy. Was this done independently of what Quick is doing? Yeah, yeah. We, I mean, we didn't, we, we weren't really, uh, I mean, I was aware of Quick, but Quick wasn't really solving Quick was splitting stuff into modules so they could lazy load stuff on 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 the client, you know, like piece by piece. But I wasn't really thinking about it this way because, like, it's almost like the opposite side. Quick was like, "How do we handle all these boundaries for client code that now needs to run in these little bubbles?" And we were, it's funny, like in hindsight, I can see the similarities. We were like, "How do we create these bubbles for server code that run in these bubbles?" Like, it's the opposite direction, mm. essentially. So you were like, things were like bubbling up to the server. <laughs> And they, and in their case, things were like, like I don't know, trickling down to the client. Client, yeah, exactly. Okay, interesting. And people so can see me like I'm waving my hands up and down. <laughs> yeah, like it wasn't immediately obvious for me the, that it was kind of the same thing because I'd started from these proxy RPC things and 
there are differences in the rules, which I can get to in a minute. But essentially, we were we realized I could make these primitives isom because I had this um, server function, like the ability to make a function server. I could make isomorphic primitives again. So I was like, why don't we make like a route query and a route mutation, which we ended up calling uh, route data and route actions um, primitives, and they could work without the server function or with it. So we kept that isomorphic thing so that we had this ability. They're, again, built off the resource mechanism. And the difference is the actions would also, like you'd go create action, and you could either just call it with the arguments, or you can go dot form and get a form component that you could put in your page like Remix. So it, it basically handled both progressive enhancement and non-progressive enhancement. You could just call it as like a function, like a promise, like like just a server function. And the key part about it is because we need these pieces because they need to tie together with the knowledge of the route so that when you posted a form, it could automatically invalidate all the data loaded for that particular route, like yeah, along but, the route. But it's important for me to stress and correct me if I'm wrong. We we use the term progressive enhancement here, but really unlike unlike Remix and, and React, you don't see solid and solid start running without JavaScript on the client side. Yeah, I mean, I don't think Remix actually does, though. Like, even when they advertised it, like, like it's a yeah, good I'm thing putting for... Yeah, it aside. They it, can't do it. I don't know if anybody would actually use it this way. And if people do, they might as well use uh, Rails or PHP or something. Uh, I, I'm not saying that I'm talking about the practicality. I'm just saying that they build it so that it could. You're not yeah. building it with that intention. That's what I'm trying to say. No. No, no, no. It completely works without JavaScript. But then how do you do the whole uh, the re- reactive thing without JavaScript? Well, then then, then you don't. But I mean, that's the same. Ah, how do you okay. do the state then it thing? Just SS, then it's just SSR, basically, is what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. but I mean, it has forms and you can post forms with no JavaScript mm. and navigate links with no JavaScript. It's, the, it's that same experience. Uh, I, mm. I, like, okay, so, so you, did do, you did build that. Yeah. Yeah, so we built it as a as a as a hook instead of as like or as a primitive instead of as like a a use act or instead of like a export action export thing. We just made it you you could have multiple actions for pages. You could put the actions actually anywhere um, along your route, and then basically, so you load your route data at the with your data functions at the the front top, so it could be pulled out, parallelized, and fetched. And then you could define instead of being based on the route. We could do the fetches anyways because they're anywhere because they're RPC based. And I got this idea from GraphQL because GraphQL, when you fetch, you have this like tree of data you pull out essentially. Like you know, you you, you kind of go through and get all the data you need and pull it out of this tree. But when you do mutations, it's kind of like this flat RPC structure. And that was kind of my mentality here. I wanted the data fetching to be kind of part of the route, so you have nested sections and you can pull the data out. But when you do RPCs, you can define them anywhere to do these actions um, as many as you want. And then it kind of had that same parallel. Yeah, like, but just to cl- but just to clarify, you're not actually using GraphQL. No, no, no. I, it was it, it inspired the API design of, of basically having these kind of like this tree, essentially like the page tree for for the gets, and then doing the mutation via a bunch of like independent RPC calls. Now that's when you came up with this whole concept of uh, Bling, this whole thing that you described. Yeah, yeah, exactly. At this point, um, solids like we built this mechanism into solids, solid start, and um, it, like that's 
to basically leading up to the beta release, right? We basically, the, the big headlines of the beta release was swappable file system routing, so you could opt out of it. You could do these uh, data fe- fetching uh, capabilities with RPC calls. And then um, the the last one, I guess I would say, is that we um, uh, we did these, uh, what, what was I calling, the, the route data, progressive enhanced form stuff that I was just talking about. And we've been working with Tanner and Tanstack um, a little bit because we've been building all these, I mentioned, solid query um, and, and those kind of libraries. And he was like trying to think of like, okay, this reactivity stuff's really performant. It would be really good for my libraries, like my table libraries. He, he saw AG Grid, if anyone's seen like, basically... Yeah, we, solid... actually, we actually spoke with Tanner exactly about that, like what was it, two or three weeks ago. So hopefully by mm-hmm. the time... Yeah. Yeah, so certainly by the time people listen to this, that episode will have been out. Perfect. Okay. So then essentially, we had all the pieces, and Tenor and I like had kind of talked, and with Nikhil, and we're like, he's like, I, I just want to do what Solid's doing, like Solid Start doing. I just want Solid Start for React. Like he 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 didn't care about server components. He just wanted these RPC calls. He wanted these data fetching. He was already building a router. He saw the similarities. He's like, can we just like combine our efforts and put this together? He's like, I am in React where I am sitting right now. He's like, maybe one day I can get to Solid if it makes sense, you know, where I'm at. But let's just work together. And we looked at it and we're like, yeah, you know, these pieces are kind of extractable. And at the same time, uh, Nikhil had been busy. Yeah, I, this is the tricky part with open source. You know, he was moving back to India, and like I was sitting there maintaining, so I'll start myself just fixing the adapter bug after adapter bug. And, I'm, and I had like a Theo in my ear going, "Astro's the platform." <laughs> Astro, <laughs> like, this is this is a thing he's he'd been like saying for about a year. He's like he's like he'd, he'd go to Fred and be like. When are you going to realize that like Astro should be competing with Vite, not with Next? And I'm like, and, and like, <laughs> he just kept on like <laughs> saying that. It's funny because Astro is built on Vite, so everyone's like looking at him with puzzled looks. He's like, no, no, no. Like, what we need is Vite is really good from like all the stuff we talked about at the beginning of the stream. But what it doesn't give you is like the like it just says here, make your server entry. Everything down below that, like middleware deployment. Like all those kind of pieces, Vite doesn't provide, but Astro is kind of like this agnostic home. Um, and you know, because of their plugin architecture, because the sure. because their need, they, what they did with the whole islands thing, where they wanted to, they didn't really have like a, a framework built in, so they created a, me- a plugin mechanism for inserting the framework. So you're basically saying, okay. I'll I'll ins- I'll I'll insert solid in, and then I'll start expanding from there, as it were. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And funny enough, I've been working on that integration. It is. It looks like that. Instead of just doing the normal solid island plugin, in the exact same way, you just insert the solids like the start plugin. <laughs> it's like the exact same thing. And what this realization of shuffling, and it, and this kind of coincides with all the timing of the other stuff, was that I'm. Meta framework, as we like to call it, consists of three pieces. The deployment, middleware, server, you know, kind of like runtime part. The bundler, which is handling all of the, you know, like how do we build this package, module split, do all that kind of stuff. And then the router, which is as much as me and Tanner tried to make it agnostic, today was still a challenge. And we kind of both realized that we'll we'll keep our React and solid routers separate. We'll just learn from each other. 
uh, in terms of patterns and because the router has so many ties into the framework in terms of like change management, like the reactivity, like we had some challenges between, you know, React immutability and solid mutability and like making them play together. And we we're just like, okay, let's, let's not worry about that. But we can isolate those, like split into those three pieces. And when you look at it from that perspective, um, Astro was, you know, very reasonable approach for that first part, like setting up the middleware and the deployment adapters, right? Everyone, every framework remakes that. Uh, so every metaphor, FeltKit, Nuxt. And, and there are other agnostic solutions like Nuxt has, I think, on JS or something. Or um, Yeah, I think that's on it. But like, there, there's there's a bunch of ones out there, but we were just like, look, um, Astro's already this kind of agnostic home. Let's kind of work with that and not have to worry, like leave the adapter stuff. The bundler side is interesting because you're kind of like, what do I do here? You, could this be made agnostic? And that's when we started looking at what we'd been doing in Solid. We had those server functions I mentioned, the, like the RPC calls, but we were also using them for stuff like saying, imp, like doing lazy imports for stuff that was only client only. And we were using them also for um, islands. We were, we, we'd made like an islands, almost server component like solution experimentally for Solid. So we had like, again, like island function. And um, it, it's it's kind of, Funny that those ones actually haven't got the dollar sign yet. Uh, the, these days, you mentioned that Quick has you know the same kind of semantics, like the server dollar sign. We added the dollar sign because of Quick's influence. Because I was looking at it right before beta release, and I was like, "Man, no one's going to understand like server is special. How do we make like show people that it needs to like like separate out?" And I'm like, "Let's let's do it like you know." quick you know like if you put a dollar sign this is a clear serialization boundary it's let's, basically let's just... it's an indication both to you and the compiler obviously the compiler yeah. doesn't really need it the compiler can do make do with anything but it it, it you know what I'll, I'll backtrack on that it's really it it can be said to be an indication to the compiler but it's really an indication to the programmer telling the programmer something different is happening here this is not right. a run-of-the-mill function, scope, whatever. It's something else. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And it was fun because like I, I th- that was a realization last fall right before the beta release. And then I met with the quick guys when I was in conferences and like I, I and I met with Manu and he was like, I saw that thing you're doing. You know, we could do that in quick really easily. And I'm like, I know. Like I realized like after the fact when I add the dollar sign I was looking at it, I'm like, this is like you guys like you guys already have the serial closure stuff. So yeah, it only took them a couple months to just flip out like their own version of that as well. Um, which is funny because sure enough, like re- the React proposal, the 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 next thirteen proposal for mutations um, is still not officially out there. But if you look at the next repo in the Canary branch, you can see similar things. They, they have a U, they call it use server, but it also has a similar mechanism around these RPC calls um, that again do do kind of a similar thing and. You start seeing these primitives. Um, so I was talking about the bundler. For me, uh, or for us, Bling is kind of like our idea of what bundler primitives would look like. It's their macros essentially, and um, there's different ways to tackle this. We like the decorator form because it lets us like configure them a little bit easier. Like we can pass arguments macro and stuff. Is the perfect name for it, by the way. Yeah, it's because. So, you know, whether it's server dollar sign, island dollar sign, or whatever we want to call it, you know, secret dollar sign, like this was only on the server, client only, like we're still playing around with the potential there. Some people have taken this pattern even further and created whole TRPC clients. There's a there's a, something out there called PRPC, which is like these Bling-inspired TRPC client. 
I, I think we need to figure out a way of almost standardizing on building these things so that like what's cool about functions is they're kind of composable. You can like wrap functions and functions and you can pass arguments to them. It gives them a little bit uh, more power than say like the, I think than like the use directives. Um, it's interesting though, because there is a bit of competition because obviously React is like saying use client, use server. And we're like, we're like these, uh, yeah, macros work a little different, but can accomplish the same things, right? Because we could use our, you know, our client component or island thing to generate React server components for a React-based framework and then, you know, use those same mechanisms to do something different for a, you know, a different style of framework. Um, so we've been, we've been kind of playing around with this idea of like macro bundler primitives to handle the, the bundler side. So we did deployments, bundler, and that just leaves us with worrying about the router, which for me is a lot simpler of a proposition because that's where I started with. I was working on my router before I picked up this whole thing. So that, that, that that's like the big wide scope look of it because then I got Astro doing the deployments, working with the community on these bundler plugins. Um, and then, you know, that just leaves basically the router. And then we have essentially solid start mm. being those three pieces together. And so basically it, like Vite would raise the floor for you with regard to bundling, Astro raised the floor for you with regard to deployment, and mm-hmm. and you basically just really needed to go all in on the router. Yeah, yeah, that's 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 the plan now. What's solid start today um, is like all the stuff that I've been working on for the couple years, you know, with you know contribution from the community. But I I am slowly by slowly, finally enough moving the pieces around a bit, right? Bling is taking over all the server function stuff. Astro taking the deployment adapters and like base middleware st- kind of stuff. Wait a minute, so and Bling this, is a separate project? Yeah, it's under the Tanstack organization right now. Mm. Because it's, it, the, what's cool about Bling is, sure, we're using it with Solid Start and Tanner's using it with his, his uh, what he's working with. Uh, he's making like a Tanstack Start framework. But we've seen people play with it using Nux. We've seen people play with it using Analog. Like basically across the Beat ecosystem, you can just like install this project and now have server functions. In and and besides server dollar, what else is exposed as part of Bling's API? Right now, it's server dollar, secret dollar, which is like a server only thing, and um, import dollar, which means it's like, it, this one might go away, obviously, but it's an idea of inline modules. Mm. Um, oh, yeah, for something like web workers or something like that. Yeah, I mean, we're, we're, we haven't made a worker dollar sign that's on the list. But yeah, the idea is like, the way we've been approaching some of the problems with Bling was we were like thinking, what can we do in a single file? Because anything we can do in a single file, we can then extend to multiple files, right? Like, like we can like, if you don't like that convention, sure, use a file system convention. But like one of the experiments that uh, Nikhil did was he took React Router, not Remix Router, React Router 6.4. Basically, they have these client-side loader and action patterns, and he plugged in uh, Bling's import dollar sign and server dollar sign, and basically has an SSR app built in Vite using React Router that, and using server like using their loaders and actions on the client side, but with these dollar sign functions to basically get code split, parallelized data fetching. Um, uh, uh, Action invalidated, run on the server only. He basically remade Remix minus the forms, um, all in like one file yeah, using these primitives. Uh, okay, 
Look, once you have a working, fully functional RPC mechanism, you know, you can do a lot of things. Mm. Um, I'm thinking, you know, we're starting to run, you know, the episode is starting to to be long. And and to be honest, I'm starting to think that maybe we should bring you and Tanner on again together just to talk in more detail about Bling because there's so much stuff here that we didn't cover. Like, you know, for example how you would deal with initialization or how you would deal with, and kind of related to that is how you would deal with scopes. Um, and because, I mean, server, server dollar works great if you're working serverless, but I can see, foresee all sorts of issues if you've got a node server where you want to retain state, for example, between server dollar invocations and, and, and stuff like that. Uh, especially if you're writing everything in one file. Uh, I don't know exactly how that would work. And Anyway, I, I think it, it's starting to go be a bit beyond the scope of, of, our, of our show for today. So, you know, I always love having you on. So if, there's, if <laughs> that's a justification <laughs> for bringing you on again, I'll, I'll jump on it, you know, immediately. Um, by the way, to our listeners, uh, just so you, in case you don't, well, I, I've spoken about it a bit in previous episodes. I'll be visiting all sorts of conferences during the upcoming months. And luckily for me, I'll be meeting Ryan at a couple of them because I think you'll be doing a, a, quite a bit of traveling uh, as well. And we're kind of coinciding a bit. So if you do have a follow-up episode, it will probably need to be after all that. Um, yeah. Definitely, yeah. There's there's so much stuff coming up. I'm I'm looking forward to seeing you in London next uh, coming yeah. up here. IGS, it's gonna be fun. And uh, yeah, yeah, we got we, we got a few conferences coming. It'll be great. Yeah, that'll be great. Uh, also seeing Mishko there as well and other people. Yeah, it should be should be great. Um, so just to finish up before we get to wrap things up and get to picks, um, where What's the situation with Solid Start right now? I, I, you're still in beta, but how? But but it's on, on the one hand you're beta, but on the other hand it seems like you're making some really significant architectural changes. Maybe you're not yeah. changing the public API, so it doesn't really matter that much. But the question is: Is Solid Start something that people should feel comfortable about starting to use? Let's say in production. Right. Yeah. This is this is why I want to get this Astro move as soon as possible, so that as 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 you mentioned, it, it isn't changing the API surface. Like um, the source folder just copies straight across. It's the same. In fact, you just have to change the dependencies and change from a beat config to an Astro config. But the, there's differences, obviously, in dev. Um, some of the capabilities because the adapters are different. And I I, I would li- I'd like to see you know that get to a good place. I, I I know that there's going to be a couple API changes before we get out of beta as well, just because we have to think forward looking to server components, mostly around the entry stuff, just small stuff around the router. So I, I'm aware of some changes that are coming. So, you know, you always have to take that into consideration for production. That being said, it is the only, I guess, really production, not production, but like it's the most mature to date solid SSR solution. Um, so people are using it. Um, there are sites in production using Solid Start. Um, I know Post.News um, recently released their Solid Start uh, app in production. 
there's there's other projects coming down the pipeline. I I'm always wary of people about beta because stuff will change. I don't want people to come at me too angry. Um, but uh, then let me ask it, it differently. Do you have a guesstimate as to when version 1.0 should be will be released? Yeah, it's always so tricky. I know. I, I should, you're trying to nail it down. It's the hardest part right now is because other than myself, um, I'm the only person. You know, like it's my day job. Other people come and go <laughs> um, based on the community maintenance stuff. And even then, I can't give it 100 percent of my time. So it's always hard for me to get the exact estimates on this stuff. Um, the astro migration should be coming through in the next few weeks. Um, and then we have to do the work. It's, it's mostly stabilization, to be fair. Like, this has been the problem with Solid Start this whole time. It's just been chasing down all the bug fixes because of the, the amount of scope you get when you consider like all this stuff. And I'm largely hoping, um, or well, anticipating that the move to getting with in line with Astro is going to help a lot there on that side so that we can ex- expedite uh, the release of Solid Start. But yeah, I mean, I would love to get 1.0 out. Uh, I can tell you the piece or... of advice that my dad g- used to give to me in this context is that better is the worst enemy of good enough. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, for sure. It's just... I. This is we didn't talk about this much today, but we're at a very interesting tipping point right now on the the stuff. It's been actually mostly the same for years and years and years, and the server component stuff is definitely changing the perspective on stuff. And I I have a good idea of what approach we're taking with Solid because we've done prototypes and stuff. I just want to make sure that the API is like basically all aligned with that, and I have to make sure that for projects like ours, we have to make sure that the doc release and everything align as well. Like so realistically you know that puts us at the late summer um early fall probably so i mean i'm I'm just roughly putting it out there but that's 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 what i'm seeing yeah okay we'll be looking uh, looking out for it Uh, yeah for sure uh steve do we have anything else before we move on to picks no i would say that was a a pretty solid episode (laughs) but uh i certainly don't have anything else so so yeah, let's move on to picks. Uh, picks are the part of the show where we get to talk about anything else we want to talk about. May or may not be tech-related, books, movies, games, in Chuck's case, uh, whatever the case may be. Um, so Dan, why don't you go first? Well, to be honest, uh, I haven't really come prepared today in context of picks. What? Yeah, yeah, it is what it is. It, it... Well, you have your one pick that you always do. Yeah, you I do. I have a couple. One, right? <laughs> I'll, I'll start. Well, the only pick I have is a bit of a bummer or a downer. Is the fact that uh, today is the date that we're recording it is uh, in Israel. It's the eve of the Holocaust Memorial Day, so it's a uh, it's a good time to reflect on the fact that uh, you know how you want to avoid authoritarian leaders and make sure that you always retain your freedom of speech and freedom of expression. And how important those things are, because when we lose them, terrible things happen. Uh, and that kind of ties into my other points, which is, you know, uh, supporting us in our struggle for re- to re- to remain a democracy in Israel, and the struggle of the Ukrainian people to just su- survive in the face of aggression. And uh, yeah, those are my <laughs> unfortunate picks for today. I'm sorry about that, but that's that's all I have. So yeah, maybe it's time for a bit this for some dead jokes to li- to liven up the mood, Steve. Right. 
I would argue that we're sort of facing that same fight here, but uh, I'll leave it at that. Uh, so lighten things up here. Let's go with the, the dad jokes of the week. Um, so this is just more of an observation than anything else that uh, pigeons, our lovely birds, must be extremely wealthy because they have no problems putting large deposits on expensive cars. Right? Okay. Um, so I used to own a uh, pet store as one of my previous lives, many previous lives. And a man walked into my pet store one day and said, I'd like a dog for my son. I said, I'm sorry, sir, we don't do swaps. And then uh, uh, back when I was looking for a job before I had gained all my mad skills as a software developer, and uh, I went to interview at a blacksmith shop, you know, some real physical labor. And he said, are you good at shoeing horses? I said, no, but I, once I told the donkey to get lost. Okay. No, thank you. Those are the dad jokes of the week. <laughs> and I must mention, by the way, um, I'm sort of a little uh, patting my own back here. Uh, somebody had tweeted out about podcasts about view, and I do views on view, another podcast here. And, and somebody replied about the awesome dad jokes that I do. So kudos. Thank you to that uh, little acknowledgement. It's rare, but it, I do know there's that silent majority out there. Uh, Ryan, what do you have for us for picks today? Oh, yeah, no, you, get, you gave me a long enough run in that I should think of it. I used like my, my picks when I was here like a month ago. I'm trying to think of like anything recently. I've been like so heads down recently, like just working on, uh, on, uh, the, this astro migration. I, I can't think of anything off the top of my head. I was like recent TV show. Um, I don't know. Yeah. What I, about I, offhand? I always check both places off the top of my head and offhand. By the yeah, way, no, Ryan, I, I, Ryan, you have kids, right? Yes. How old are they? Yes. By the way, uh, four and seven. Yeah. Oh, that's a wonderful age. Uh, it's amazing that you're able to do all that you're doing, plus the traveling that you're planning, and you know the kids. You know, kudos to your wife. That's what I've got. Wife. To say. Yeah. Exactly. Yes. yes exactly. exactly. <laughs> yes. Very much so. Um, yeah, my advantage, by the way, is that given the fact that my kids are older, my wife is actually traveling with me. So I'm actually... Oh, fun. So yeah, so all these conference talks are also doubling as vacations, which is a great way to pass the summer months. That, yeah, that, yeah, I'm in sort of a combination. I'm sort of a combination of those in that I have two older kids. Uh, and as it turns out, they're both about to leave the nest probably within a month of each other this summer. Oh, man. Uh, still trying to figure out how I'm going to adjust to that. Um, but I also have a just-turned-12-year-old. Uh, I talked my wife into a third child a little later on in life. So I've got the kids leaving, but I've still got the slightly younger one uh, taken care of. So it's sort of the best of both worlds, uh, at least in my opinion. I like having my kids here. Yeah, sure. I, I so, can appreciate it. We are, we are approaching that stage as well. It's uh, it's interesting times, um, but, but yeah, but for sure the the big advantage for us is if we want decide that we want to go on va- on you know to go together on some vacation, we just you know as, as long as I can like swing it in terms of how it fits in with the job, uh, we can just pack up and go, which is uh, a, a great stage to be in life. You're, you're not bringing your family with you on all these trips, though, are you, Ryan? No, no, uh, too, too, too young. And yeah, I mean, yeah, we, we talked about it at one point, like, like in the summer, we're like, 
one one of them we're like oh maybe we could do that but you know when i i go the trips i'm it's mostly work and travel and work it's a long flight and then you're you know what i mean i mean i guess we could stick around at one but you just got to work on timing what's actually happening is when i get back we are doing a family trip to utah um going to zeon and going to bryce canyon but yeah zion yeah. yeah Yeah, so yeah, doing doing a bunch of that stuff right when I get back um, from Finland at the end of that for like a couple weeks. Uh, I do. Yeah, that's down Chuck's way, Chuck and AJ's way. Because sorry, Dan, about a was a year ago, spring break, my daughter and I, I've mentioned this before, took a road trip from Oregon down there, Uh, and we did the we did a big loop around Utah where we came down through Salt Lake, um, Ogden, that whole area, and then went east and went down to Moab. And then went down to Monument Valley and came up and did, uh, um, oh my gosh, I can't believe I forget, not Zion, uh, the canyon. I completely blew it. Anyway, Bryce Canyon. Yeah, we did Bryce Canyon and and uh, that area is beautiful. I love that area down there. Yeah, it's, it's amazing. And then, and yeah, we had dinner with AJ and his wife and, and kids uh, while we were there. So yeah, there's a lot to see. It's beautiful. You should really like that kind of uh, so just uh, just to say that one of the conferences where both Ryan and I will be speaking is in Portugal in this uh, university town called Coimbra. And I just have to say that the fact that you probably won't actually tour Portugal is a huge miss because it's yeah. it's supposed to be such a Lovely country. I mean, my wife and I visited uh, Lisbon a while back. We were actually supposed to do a big tour in Portugal and then Corona hit. Uh, so now we're actually jumping on the opportunity. So we'll be touring a couple of days, both before and after the conference, which uh, which should be great. Nice. Nice, nice. No, that that is, yeah. It's one of those things where it's like, <laughs> it's that one's like a, a like a straight, straight, straight because I'm in Amsterdam and yeah. for JS Nation and then. Portugal and then Finland, and it's literally in like within like a seven. I'll be in all three locations within seven days, so yeah. I'm moving around. Yeah. Alrighty, with that we will wrap up this episode. Thank you for coming on again, Ryan. Uh, AJ wanted to tell me he's bummed he couldn't be here, but he was really glad to be able to come back. So with that, we will wrap up this episode, and we'll talk to you next time on JavaScript Ever. <laughs>